I don't know what your name is. Well, I know what some of your names are, but um, I'll tell you what my name is. It's Dad. Well, my kids call me Dad. It's Ian. Uh, some people that I know call me Ian. It's McGill. And uh, some people that I really know call me McGill, like my wife. Uh, it's Son. That's what my parents call me. I got all these names. In fact, I could go through a list of names that I was called at school when I was a young fella too. You can probably imagine with the color of my hair. <laughs> and, um, but I won't because some of them are rude um, and offensive. But, you know, we have names, don't we? We have names and they mean something uh, to you, but also to the people that call you those names. You know, you might have an affectionate name for your spouse. Uh, for your partner, you might call them schnooky poo or uh, pookie bear or something like that that makes us all cringe and almost vomit in your presence. But that's your name for them, and that's wonderful because it means something to them. But tonight we're looking at a guy whose name is Matthew and his name is Levi and his name is Tax Collector. And I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, have them open because what we're going to do is we're going to do just pretty much, we're going to read through the Bible verse by verse in that passage from verses 13 to 17 and just learn something tonight about Jesus. So far, Jesus has healed so many people. As soon as he hit the scene, you know, he was baptized by John the Baptist in, the, in near the Jordan River and then he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil himself for 40 days, and then he came out of there not sinning, proving that he was above sin, which is awesome because we know the end of the story where Jesus rises again to life because he had no sin. Then what we see is Jesus comes and he starts preaching to people. He sees two fishermen fishing, Peter and uh, Simon and John. Uh, Simon and Andrew, sorry, and he sees them fishing and he calls them to follow him. Then he sees James and John, other fishermen, just down the beach a little further and they're mending their nets and he calls them to follow him as well. And so they, they all four of those men just drop everything and start to follow Jesus. They leave their businesses behind, their, their fortunes behind, their lifestyles behind, their names behind, and they begin to follow Jesus. Then in another one of the other Gospels in the Bible, we find that, that Philip and Bartholomew end up following Jesus as well. And here today, we see Jesus choosing his fifth, seventh disciple. And his name in Mark's Gospel is Levi. But in other Gospels, he's called Matthew. It's probably just a, a nickname that he had or, or a last name, a surname of some sort. But let's go, shall we, at verse 13. Let's go to verse 13 and read this. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. Now, Jesus, last week we learned that Jesus healed a man that was paralyzed. His, his mates brought him to a house 
and the house was so full of people wanting to listen to Jesus because Jesus was very popular. He would, he would do amazing things and he would teach something that the religious people didn't, didn't really teach. You know, he would teach people that it was possible to get to heaven by other ways other than just being a good person. And in fact, he taught that no one could get to heaven by being a good person, really. And, and it, so he healed this man with, that was paralyzed. Uh, and before that, he healed the man that had leprosy. Uh, he was showing us a picture of what it means to be forgiven before God and to know that our sins are forgiven and to know that when we do die, we can be assured of the very fact that our sins are forgiven and we will go to heaven. Because it's a sad reality that the world believes that just because you're a good person, you will go to heaven. Now, there are lots of good people. But when I hear Jesus say statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That makes me worry about them because they're good people, but they don't know that Jesus is actually the only way we can get to heaven. And... And they're missing out because maybe, like Matthew and other disciples, religious people were getting in the way with their religious works-based salvation. You know, we look around the world, people, and we see religions everywhere. All right, we see religions everywhere. But uh, every single one of them is uh, a way for you to live or do things in order to make some higher power happy with you so that then you can live when you die, which is a lie. No one can be good enough. No one can do enough. No one can pray enough. No one can actually be good enough to make their own way to heaven, which is why Jesus came, which is why Jesus caused such a stir in the community when he did come, which is why so many people flocked to listen to every word that dripped out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus spoke with authority and love and kindness. And here Jesus has just left the house that was crowded where he healed the man with the, that was paralyzed. He healed him and he left that house that was crowded. And we see here he's walking along the, the lake shore. He went out along the lake shore again. And, uh, and he taught people. He taught people. The crowds were coming to him because they were magnetized to what he was teaching. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what he was teaching. He just says that he was teaching. I'm pretty sure it was good stuff. But it says in verse 14 that as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. He saw Levi. You know, it's funny because I read that and I think, well, there were crowds around him. Surely he saw lots of people. But this seems to infer that it's not just that Jesus glanced at the guy, but he noticed him. You know, he, he noticed Levi. Levi. Levi's face kind of stood out in the crowd. Have you ever done that before? You've gone somewhere and you, you noticed somebody? I remember going to a, a cafe once and I was, I was there to meet with my wife and it was at a, a Christian cafe as well, of all places. And I was sitting there, I was waiting for my wife to come in. And, uh, and then uh, as I was waiting, I noticed this good-looking, um, through the glass 
windows, this uh, this lady come in to the to the cafe, and I thought, oh wow, she's pretty, and uh, and then I, then another thought entered my mind. Hang on a second, you should not be checking out another lady. And then it happened to be uh, my wife, which was really good for me because I felt good about that. But, you know, she caught my eye. There were lots of people at that cafe, but she caught my eye. And Levi catches Jesus' eye. His, his eye of affection is on Levi. And, and Levi, we're told, is a tax collector. He's a tax collector. He, now, let me tell you what a tax collector is if you don't already know. Obviously, it's someone who collects tax. But in that day and age, a tax collector would, would predominantly be a Jewish person. Now, Levi is a Jewish man. He's a Jewish name. And uh, he, he, is, he takes taxes at, at, uh, at Capernaum on the trade route, and he would take taxes from people, from Jews, who are living under the Roman Empire. And so here he is collecting taxes from people. Now, there were lots of tax collectors around. And in those days, tax collectors were given a very bad name because of the way they did business. The vast majority of tax collectors were given, every tax collector was given a sum of money or a percentage to take out of people's pay or goods every every week or every season. And, and sometimes that percentage would fluctuate depending on the Roman Empire. But it was up to the tax collector to say to the people that were paying the tax what that percentage was. And more often than not, they would say that percentage was greater than the empire was actually asking the tax collectors to collect. So they were extortionists. They were ripping people off. They were ripping off poor people. They had no sense of care for anybody apart from themselves. They were focused on greed and they were very wealthy. Now, Matthew or Levi, we might just call him Matthew from here. Matthew was very, possibly very rich and very lonely. See, on the one hand, he is a Jew but on the other hand, he's working for the enemy, the Romans. And so on one hand, he's Jewish, but on the other hand, he's despised. Not only by the Romans who look down on Jewish people, including tax collectors, but also from his own Jewish people, because they all labeled tax collectors as ripoff merchants. And so here's, here's Matthew. He... he he has his tradition of his heritage as a Jew, but he's also a, a traitor in the Jewish in the in the Roman Empire. He he has family, he's part of a family, but he's also a foe within that family. He's like the meat in the sandwich between two realms, the religious realm and the political realm. He's he's like the meat in the sandwich. He can't be a Jew properly because they despise him for ripping him off. Fair enough. And he can't be a Roman because he's a Jew. And he's being treated like a slave but getting paid lots of money. He's like a citizen with all the promises of Abraham and promises of God because of his heritage. 
but he's an outcast in his own town because of his decisions. So he's really not a good person, I would say. He's really not salt of the earth kind of, yeah, let's be mates with Matthew kind of person. He's probably a self-centered, egotistic kind of person who, uh, who makes a lot of money. But Jesus was known for his association with tax collectors and sinners. You know, the prodigal son, the story, the prodigal son, the, the parable that Jesus tells about uh, one son that wanders off with his father's inheritance and then he ends up uh, feeling sorry for himself and, and, and repenting and coming back to the father and saying, I'm so sorry, please make me one of his slaves. You know, that story is, is told uh, because there were a lot of religious people in that day that despised the fact that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and those kinds of sinners, disreputable sinners. I didn't realize there were kinds of sinners. But in Luke 15, if you look it up in Luke 15, you see these three parables that Jesus tells, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. He told those parables because there were people that despised the fact that Jesus hung out with disreputable sinners and tax collectors and people like that that probably had tattoos, that probably had missing teeth, that probably had weird haircuts, that probably didn't fit in with society because they were riffraff. Jesus liked those sorts of people, which is just fascinating to me. Jesus would have hung out with people that went to bars. And that didn't sit well with the religious establishment. Probably still doesn't. But when he saw Matthew, we're told by Mark that he said these words to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. In verse 14, he says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. We're told in Luke's gospel that Levi got up and left everything to follow him. Levi got up. Matthew got, gets up. He leaves his wealth. He leaves his his inheritance, he leaves everything that he has to follow Jesus. He walks away from his booth. He walks away from the taxes that he just collected that day, from the, from the extra profit that he might have gotten from that day. He walks away and he follows Jesus. Not only did Jesus socialize with sinners and socialize with tax collectors, but he, this tells us that he welcomes them into membership. With him. He welcomes them to follow him. Matthew didn't have to convert on the spot, but what he did have to do was follow Jesus. In fact, no one could follow Jesus unless they were sinners. Did you know that? No one could follow Jesus unless they were sinners. Still happens today. You can't follow Jesus unless you're a sinner. In verse 15, later it says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples. To his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Here they are having a party. They're having a party because they know that Jesus loves them because he loves Matthew. He chose Matthew. He saw Matthew. There were many, and it says here, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And let me tell you, there still are. There still are many disreputable kinds of people that are still following Jesus. 
We try our best. We're never going to measure up to perfect, but we follow Jesus and he teaches us along the way. He, d- he gets his pruning shears out and he prunes off the bits that don't count and he, and he, he fertilizes the bits that do and he grows us to become whole people, meaningful mm-hmm. people, to let go of the things that don't matter, to hold on to the things that do matter. Jesus loved to hang out with many people of this kind. There are, well, I'm not sure if there are four types of sinners, but I tried to find how many kinds of sinners there are because, you know, Mark says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, you know, tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I don't know if if there are reputable sinners, but either way, they're all sinners, right? But here are four types of sinners that I could find. Okay, one, those who despise Jesus and don't need to repent of any sin. Those who like Jesus but won't repent of any sin. Those who know they are sinners but won't repent of any sin. And those who know they are sinners and repent of their own sin. Ultimately, we're all sinners. (laughs) We're all sinners. All of us have done something wrong. We've all lied at least once in our lives. Come on, people, let's be honest. We've all cheated someone, somewhere, somehow. We all haven't thought nice things about everybody. You know, even Jesus said, if you've hated someone in your heart, it's like murdering them. So I guess I'm guilty of murder in that degree. Why? Because God wants pure hearts. In fact, your heart has to be pure in order to get to heaven, which a lot of people don't realize. And, and, If you know me, you know my heart is not pure. But when it comes to God and his view of my heart, it is pure. Why? Well, I'll tell you a bit about that later on. But let's move on, shall we? Because in verse 16, we're introduced to the religious side of things. In verse 16, it says, But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why why does your leader eat with scumbags? They were too gutless to ask Jesus themselves. They went to Jesus' disciples. They asked the the seven of those guys, the the fishermen, or the six of those guys, why does Jesus eat with such scum? Now, you might think that's, that's fine, but... For Jesus to eat with people, to actually sit around a table. In fact, the language here is that they're lying down, like leaning on an elbow on a low table, and they're just chilling around a table, spending time, sharing stories, listening to each other. And here's Jesus. He's getting on their level. And it actually, it's kind of like a business deal. It, you don't eat with people who aren't your people. And here's Jesus. He's, he's, he's kind of involving himself in disreputable people's lives, people that have been labelled, people that have been um, outcast from society because of their their job or their title or their status or their family background or I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But you get pushed out of the circle because of whatever. But Jesus, he welcomes them in. He eats with them. And these Pharisees and scribes, they were so holy or they thought they were, that 
They didn't want to even touch anyone that wasn't Jewish or anyone that didn't want to follow God's law to the nth degree, which is good. They wanted to follow God's law to the nth degree to, to do what they could for him to live a holy life. But God was actually asking them to do that and love people at the same time, which is exactly what Jesus is doing. So he's eating with them. It's an Eastern cultural business deal. You only eat with your people. And so in verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he heard the Pharisees talking to the disciples. He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus came to call those who know they are sinners. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. Don't we know that in our day and age, in our society right now, with this COVID-19 around? They need doctors. The sick need doctors. The healthy don't need a doctor. I don't need a doctor right now. I'm healthy physically. But when it comes to sin, when it comes to my heart attitude before a holy, perfect God, I don't measure up. I need a doctor. And it's people like that that Jesus came to call. Jesus is the doctor. This sermon tonight is called When the Doctor Calls. When the doctor comes calling, I have come to call, says Jesus, those who know they are sinners. Just like Matthew, he called him, follow me. Jesus is calling you, follow me. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. You just have to know that you're not perfect to follow Jesus. He'll sort out the perfect business for you. Grace alone is what he gives us. All we need to do is believe and have faith that what Jesus has done for us is enough. In that room that day, there was, a, there was what I would call a Pharisaic spirit. The Pharisees were these religious people. And, and they were so focused on doing good things and saying the right words. And, but on the inside, they were bitter and they were envious. And whenever Jesus spoke, they were looking for ways to trip him up because they didn't like the fact that anyone could go to heaven if they believed in Jesus and followed him. They didn't like the fact that anyone was welcome to follow Jesus. They didn't like the fact that riff-raff fishermen like Simon and, and Andrew and James and John were able to follow Jesus. They didn't like the fact that lepers that were outcasts from the community were healed because Jesus touched them. You weren't allowed to touch someone who was un unhealthy, unclean. They didn't like the fact that Jesus could forgive this paralyzed man last week, his sin, and, and, and in, that, in saying that was, he was God, they didn't like that about Jesus. And the Pharisaic spirit still exists today. It will tell you, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to pray this way, facing this way, this many times a day. You need to live a life like this. You need to, you need to, you need to. You don't need to do anything to make God happy with you. You just need to believe that God already did it for you in Jesus on the cross. When he died on the cross, he died as a perfect human being 
in your place and my place. And that's something wonderful to be thankful for. That's good news. That's good news. But, but these Pharisees, they didn't like that. And as a tax collector, Matthew stands in between both the systems, the religious system and the political system. And he stands there as a man saved by Jesus Christ. And Matthew's gospel actually adds these words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. It said, uh, now Jesus said to him, now uh, after he, he said to these uh, religious people uh, that uh, he came to save those who know they are sinners, he says these words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He says to the religious people, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus is quoting a scripture from a prophet hundreds of years before called Hosea. And Hosea says these words in Hosea chapter 6. Um, he says these words. This is a paraphrase of basically what Hosea said. He said, what do I make of you, Judah, God's people? Judah, your declarations of love last no longer than morning mist and pre-dawn dew. Your declarations are just like that. That's why I use prophets to shake you to attention, why my words cut you to the quick, to wake you up to my judgment, blazing like light. I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not to do not to go to more prayer meetings. It's not about what we do for God. In other words, it's what God has done for us. All we need to do for God, as far as what Jesus is quoting from Hosea, what Hosea is saying, is that he wants us to love, a steadfast love, a love that would last forever. It's a Hebrew word, hesed, and it means a steadfast love. It's the love that that God wants from us. He doesn't want us to be slaves that obey his every whim and command because we have to, but because out of love, we want to. God wants your heart, in other words, not your holiness. Get your heart checked at the doctor's surgery and walk out of there whole and holy. That's a metaphor, the doctor being Jesus. Give up trying to please everyone, the religious people and the political people. Give up. Sing your songs, pray your prayers, work and strive with all your might, and you will end up tired and worn out on religion. When the doctor comes calling, it's time to get up and leave the waiting room. When the doctor calls, like Levi, it's time to get up. When the doctor calls, it's time to let him examine your heart and let him tell you what the truth is about it. When the doctor calls you out of the waiting room, it's time to get real. You might not like what the doctor says, but the doctor says what's true. And Jesus had that ability to be able to hit people with the truth and leave them empowered enough to change the way they lived and to trust God and his grace and love for them. When the doctor calls, it's time to let him examine your heart and tell you what the prognosis is. 
When the doctor calls you out of the waiting room, it's time to get real. It's time to take off the masks and the facades that we put up. Here's my mask. It's time to take off the masks and the facades that we put up, that others maybe have put on us. Labels like sinner, like tax collector, like liar, limper, ugly, stupid, etc. Take off the masks and the labels and come to the doctor and seek the doctor, Jesus, for the truth about who you are. When the doctor calls your name, you better know why he calls your name. Because he sees you as you are and as you will be with him by your side, with him in you. He loves you more than you could ever deserve or imagine. He has a plan in your future to use you for greatness. Yes, you. But it's greatness in his kingdom, in God's kingdom. It may not seem great to others, but when the doctor gives you his opinion, no other opinion gets to vote. Oh, they might try and shout you down, but they don't get a vote. They might be noisy, but they don't get a vote. But the doctor has the final word on your condition. Dr. Jesus has the final word on your condition. Your role is to leave behind all that you rely upon and follow him. Leave behind the masks that you wear and follow him. Leave behind the tradition that you rely upon and follow him. When the doctor's calling your name, he calls you to follow him and only him. He doesn't call you to follow a church. He doesn't call you to follow a preacher. He doesn't call you to follow anything else other than him. Jesus will never let you down if you follow him. He turned this tax collector into the front page news report of your New Testament in your Bible. You know, we don't hear anything about Matthew really in the Gospels or in the rest of the Bible, apart from the fact that he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. This is the guy. Jesus could turn him into the front page news report of your New Testament. You need to know, though, that he only works with sinners. You need to know that. Jesus only works with sinners, only works with people who know they are sinners. He's the doctor who turns sinners into saints. He's the doctor who turns nobodies into somebodies who still know that really they're nobodies without him by their side. You need to know that he only works with sinners. Step aside if you've got it all figured out, please. Thanks for joining us. But if you've got it all figured out and, and, and you, you're, you're perfect already, then please, thanks for your time, but you might need to go somewhere else. If you're perfect, if you're not infected by sin, thanks for joining us. But he turns, he turns our mess into a message. He always does. He turns the outcast into a broadcaster of his love. He takes us not for what we can do for him, but for what he can do for us, through us and in us. He breaks down the barrier and makes you his carrier. He always has. He always will, and he always does. Just take a look at the lives that Jesus has already touched so far in Mark's gospel. The sick, the demoniacs, the lepers, Peter's mum, the lame man, fishermen that were riffraff, 
and here, a despised tax collector. You need to know that he only works with sinners. Jesus overlooked Levi's disappointments and he made an appointment with Levi, an appointment with the doctor, the doctor who came not to save those who think they are righteous, but to save those who know they are sinners. He's the heart specialist of all heart specialists. He's the cardiologist of heaven. He knows every one of our hearts. He doesn't expect us to come perfect. He just expects us to come as we are. And the wonderful thing is that as we do come to Jesus and give our lives to him, repenting of the sin that we've committed and confessing to him that we need his help, then God forgives us and he cleanses us on the inside from all the sin. Yeah, we look like normal people on the outside, but what happens is a slow change, transformation begins to happen in the heart of a person. And they begin to think of others more than they ever have. They begin to show love more than they ever have. They begin to serve more than they ever have. Not because they need to, because they want to. They've got a desire because God has given them that desire because he's placed his Holy Spirit in them. God never waits for anyone to be perfect, but he is He is waiting for you to come to him if you haven't already. The wonderful thing is about me, if you know me, if, you, if you're joining our church tonight and, and you know me and uh, you know I'm not perfect, you know I've got um, hang-ups still, but you know what? That's okay for you to say that about me, but God says something more important. He sees me through Jesus. And when he looks at me, he sees Jesus, not because of my goodness, but because I have placed my faith and trust in what Jesus did for my sin and my bad stuff and my past, what he did for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, Jesus died on a cross as a holy, perfect human being for you and for me. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And he took your sin and my sin and he punished it on the cross. And he dealt with the punishment that you and I deserve for breaking God's laws, for not being perfect, for messing up and sinning. Jesus has already dealt with the sin. And all we have to do is come to him and surrender our hearts to him, making him the boss of our life. And, and being willing, like Matthew, being willing to follow him, to turn from what we know is wrong and to surrender our lives to him and follow him. Will we get it wrong from time to time? Yes, we will. But what happens at that point in a, in a person is that they become a believer in Jesus and they promise with God's spirit to come inside of their lives to empower them to be a, an individual that can change the world. If you know me, if you know my wife, Sonia, we're, we're individuals that are ordinary people. We're kind of common riffraff. But God is on the inside of us, changing us and using us to, to reach people. Maybe, maybe tonight you've joined us and uh, you don't know if you're right with God. You don't know that um, maybe tonight, you know, if, if, if you died tonight, I hope you don't. But if you did, would you be sure that you'd be going to heaven? Because not a lot of people are sure of that. And that's okay. But I don't want anyone to leave this 
not being sure of the way to get to heaven. I want to encourage you tonight, if you are watching us, um, use this opportunity. We're gonna, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like to pray that prayer with me, um, you can do that. And I'll just say amen at the end. And we know that amen means I agree. It's Greek. And uh, so let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus saw Matthew. We thank you that Jesus sees me. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. All the things that I've said and done in the past, I'm not proud of them. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn to you and ask for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Thank you that I am forgiven. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to stand up from this point and walk the rest of my life following Jesus and only Jesus. And I thank you that you don't leave me alone in that, but that you give me your Holy Spirit filling me on the inside to strengthen me spiritually to follow Jesus' ways. Thank you for your great love for me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And thank you that I have a place in heaven. Amen. I believe if you prayed that prayer tonight, you are, you're saved. You're born again. You're a Christian. Uh, we'd love to know if you have made that decision tonight, let us know and send a notification or something. Uh, visit our webpage, Hope for Pakenham. Uh, sorry, hopefulwesleyan.org.au and um, we'll keep in touch. God bless you. And we love you, Sonia and I love you. We pray for you every week and we hope you have a great week and staying safe. God bless you.